0: Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, I'm going to guide you gently through the first show of 2022, a new year, and uh, I'm really delighted to be joined by my colleagues. We had a show with the Frank and Sabrina, just before the holidays. It went down so well, we've decided to do it again. And we're going to look forward to see what's in store for 2022. So hi, Frank. How are you doing? PR Week's executive uh, editor. Doing great.
2: Glad to be back.
1: Yeah. Off to a good start in the new year. So. Straight back into
2: it. It's good to I'm see Sabrina. everybody virtually, if no, if nowhere yeah. else.
1: Well, not exactly, person. yeah. We're not we're not going back in the office in January, are we? But uh, we'll talk a bit more about that in the podcast. And we've got Sabrina Sanchez with us, our reporter, uh, working across PR Week and campaigner, sister title. How are you doing, Sabrina?
0: I'm doing well, Steve. Happy New Year.
1: Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Or is it Feliz Ano Nuevo?
0: Yes, Feliz Ano Nuevo.
1: Yes. How was your break? It was good to have a it- time off, wasn't it?
0: Yes, it was very restful. And um, you know this, Steve, but I started to make resin bookmarks. So you
1: did. Very yeah. impressive that. Could New see hobby. that becoming a serious high side hustle and uh, very connected to your great love of books. So there's there's it's on brand. On brand. Frank, have you been doing any side hustles or just chilling out? Just chilling out. Yes. It was definitely needed, I think. I think mellowing yeah. out, yeah. Yeah, after the end of a tough year. So, we're going to talk about three big features that we've uh, debuted this week, all about the sort of Web3 gaming metaverse environment. We'll talk about those. And uh, we'll talk about the future of media. Interesting uh, developments across the board in mainstream media and uh, new media outlets. And we'll talk about the future of work, talent wars, the great resignation, the continuing COVID situation how uh, PR industry is dealing with that. And then we'll get into new stories. We've already, already broken a bunch of stories this year. And, uh, yeah, and then we'll end with six things you need to know about PR Week in January and you need to have on your radar. So don't miss that bit at the end of the pod. Um, lots of stuff going on at PR Week, and uh, we'll we'll guide you through that. But let's start with these three big features, Sabrina, um, we did an, a newsmaker interview with Brielle Via Via Blanca, who's global head of comms at Twitch. You did a great piece with uh, Nick. how do we pronounce Nick's name at the CEO of Rec, Rec Room? Nick Fat. Nick Fat, yeah, um, spelled F-A-J-T. And we had a piece with Bernard Kim, who's president of publishing at Zinga. Um, and, uh, Diana Bradley's doing a column on Roblox as well. So there's a sort of a web three gaming metaverse theme. What were the things that particularly struck you coming out of those? And are there any threads we can, we can pull out that that pull it all together?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, there were a lot of interesting nuggets in each of those pieces. Um, but I'll start actually with Newsmaker for Twitch. Um, the story that Diana did was really interesting because, Twitch has been known as a streaming platform for gamers um, in which gamers partner with brands. They stream, you know, basically live play. And, um, but that has changed over the recent years, you know, especially with the pandemic uh, lockdown and more people getting on the platform, um, Twitch's messaging has changed. And so now we're seeing all kinds of content on Twitch. We're seeing things from people knitting live to playing instruments live. Um, and it's it's really about, you know, interconnectivity and just um, people being able to watch others doing whatever it is that they're interested in. And so the platform, you know, even though gaming is still the main portion of it, um, it's expanded to so many other different, you know, verticals and all these different topics that people can now view. And so it's it's been really interesting to see that journey with Twitch. Um, and that kind of connects back to the other pieces, you know, with Rec Room, um, when I spoke to Nick, Rec Room CEO, he talks about how the whole purpose of his platform is to connect people and to create rooms with different avatars where people can interact with one another and game and, and just sort of create sort of like a virtual environment um, where people can engage as they would in real life. And then, um, you know, with Zynga, it's sort of the same thing. You know, there seems to be a focus from all three companies on just sort of giving people more of what they're interested in. Um, And that means investing in IPs and games that people are interested in, um, creating other ways and enhancing the ways that they can engage with the content that's coming out of those um, companies all the time. And so, yeah, that seems to be the thread for all three of these companies. And it's really interesting to see how they're evolving more from just gaming and and more about social interaction.
1: Yeah, lots of things to um, to. Deep, deep dive, dive deeper in there. And Bernard Kim at Zynga was interesting. He actually got his job at Zynga over a game of Words with Friends, which is one of Zynga's games with his former mentor at uh, EA. Um, and uh, Frank Gibbo, who's the Zynga's CEO. So that was interesting. And they have very high-profile games like Farmville 3, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and, and um, many others. Um, I suppose the thread that we can... Uh, draw here is that this is where people are hanging out, isn't it? These are environments where people are increasingly hanging out, as well as Roblox and many other places. We're going to chat a bit more about that. And uh, and Rec Room is is sort of is, is valued at 1.25 billion dollars um, last year. Um, it's not not as big as Roblox. I think that's valued at sort of fifty billion, but it's 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 obviously a significant player. How are brands playing in these spaces, Sabrina? I know that Nick talked a bit about that, and uh, and brands are definitely getting into Roblox and Zing and Zing and Zinger and Twitch.
0: Yeah, it's a it's really interesting. Um, you know, Nick provided a really cool example of a brand, a beauty brand, that got on the platform at Rec Room, created a room. Um, that was sort of like a spa, you know? And so people could go in with their avatar and engage with this brand. Um, And if they participated in the virtual spa, they were able to unlock discount codes that could be used in the online store. Um, It's a cosmetic brand, it's called Soap and Glory. And so, you know, it's really interesting because they basically design their own world. And um, those are some of the ways that they're engaging on on Rec Room. And I'm sure there's going to be more of that that we're going to be seeing as people... You know our brands try to get into the metaverse um and so you know that's just one of the ways that they can engage but then on twitch for example obviously we've seen partnerships with influencers that stream live um you know one of the interesting ones that stuck out to me was american eagle became one of the apparel brands in partnership with twitch um which is it's sort of unusual you would think to be you know involved with gaming and then um other examples, you know, for for Zynga, they're, they're investing in more IPs like Harry Potter, like you mentioned, um, and they're sort of just trying to expand their content and their gaming there, especially with mobile games and digital games, because the average gamer is sort of a passive gamer or a casual gamer as opposed to, you know, fully invested with the whole computer setup and all that.
1: Yeah. And one of the, we're talking quite young audiences here, aren't we? And one of the things Diana says is she has a young son herself who spends a lot of time on Roblox, why would brands want to get involved there with such a younger audiences that not necessarily buying now? And what Diana says is, well, it gets them used to those brands, makes them feel good about them. So that when they are ready to purchase or become consumers, they'll feel good about those brands. And of course, their parents are also involved in playing as well. So that's the sort of upside for brands as well. And as a, as a Gen Zer yourself, is that um, is that what you see amongst you and your peers?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there is sort of a distinction between the older Gen Z and the younger Gen Z. Gen Z. I would say that Gen Zers around my age in their twenties are on your typical social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok. But we are on platforms like Twitch, especially the gaming community um, and even just other kinds of content like I'm on Twitch and I watch people play the violin. Um, So, you know, those are just kind of the the platforms that we're on. But then younger generations, I have I have two younger siblings that still fall into the Gen Z category, but on the younger end of the scale, they're on Roblox all the time. Um, And I know, you know, maybe last year, LOL dolls created an entire world on Roblox and my little sister was loving it. So um, we are on the platform. It's it's just, you know, in different capacities, engaging with it in different ways. But definitely from the younger Gen Z-er to the older Gen Z-er, and even Gen Alpha, which is younger than Gen Z, they are on these platforms for sure.
1: Yeah, I was um, over the holidays, so I'm a big chess fan and I was following the World Rapid Championships and the World Blitz Chess Championships from um dubai which were being streamed live on on youtube but there were many uh, streamers on twitch you know doing live commentary and uh, some of the players were doing commentary after the games and it was it's all mixed up together isn't it and then you've got discord where people are hanging out so i guess my question is frank maybe you could opine in here is you know if you go back a year we were all talking about things like clubhouse weren't we and Mm. um You know, media consumption habits and where people spend their time did change during COVID. Um, But then Clubhouse kind of went off a cliff, you know, when people were back out there. And my question is, how sustainable uh, are these new platforms, these new environments? Or are they just a bit of a blip that because people have got, uh, you know, more time on their hands?
2: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we cycled through... uh a number of platforms before something was, you know, really long term established. I mean, I I think if you if you think about all the you know, there was a there was a a MySpace for for every Facebook, um, you know, and there were other uh, ways of interacting socially online before that. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we cycled through a few more things. I do think there's a bit of a, a generational divide, too. I mean, today on social media, there is this I, I don't really know how it started, but people are kind of teeing off on this um, idea of grocery shopping in the metaverse. But you do you do see that the people who are really uh, riffing on it negatively tend to, I, I think, be over 40 and, and sort of have this um idea of you know why why would anybody need to do this and in, instead of uh looking at the experience a bit i i also fall into that category you're not going to find me grocery shopping in the metaverse but um <laughs> I, I, I do think there's a generational divide there
1: but social commerce is going to be huge isn't it i mean if oh sabrina, sure sabrina sure. gets those bookmarks on uh, on facebook or into the metaverse so you know we could be seeing a new uh multi-millionaire entrepreneur growing what do you think sabrina
0: Thanks for the idea, Steve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you think they are a bit of a – I mean, what part of your interview with Nick Fat at uh, Rec Room was talking about the, the way engagement, you know, is, uh, has dropped a little bit over the last 18 months, you know, and, and that was the same at Rec Room uh, – sorry, at Roblox. Um, do you think these platforms will sustain or will we be sitting here in a year looking at them as the, the next sort of clubhouse?
0: I think there might be, you know, sort of a decline for a little bit just because people are desperate for in-person social interaction. But I do see there being sort of just like a sustained growth over time. Um, And the reason why is because he made a great point, which is to these younger generations, to the younger end of Gen Z and uh, even Generation Alpha, they treat these online social interactions almost as they do in real life. And I see this from firsthand experience with my own younger siblings. You know, they really value these friendships and these connections that they build online. Um, and they, they really treat them as, as real social connections. So, you know, I think there's always gonna be a market for um, these online social interactions and gaming and, and these uh, metaverses as we like to call them. Um, because, you know, I think that's just the way of the future. That's just how people are engaging now online. And, you know, this pandemic continues to go on and there's going to be sort of a need for that as we move forward, because I don't think things will go back to the way that they were before.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that, Frank. Let's widen it out to the media in general. And um, and just the last thing, actually, Facebook's metaverse plans aren't going that well, are they? They had three big concerts um on their metaverse and they were were big flops. so despite the fact they changed their name to meta the whole holding company i think they're struggling to make it well work, work as well but frank widening out to the general media it was interesting to see data from chartbeat showing a decline in news traffic engagement uh in 2021 compared to 2020 um and there are a number of trends that that contributed to that talk us through what, what you what you saw through. well
2: I think there are there are broad trends and, and we should mention that uh, according to a study that appeared in Axios this week I mean this isn't just our data this is everybody's data across the, uh, the media uh, in which you see a, a public largely tuning out of a lot of uh, of a lot of news coverage from the past year um, I, I think part of that is that number one people are are just tired of of the pandemic news and, and and frankly confused about a lot of it um as we head into the the third year of this um but also you you see the uh, the trump absence showing up in this where you're you're not you're not having political news every single day that is kind of like this this what in the world story, but you're having more political news that is about, you know, budget negotiations and negotiations on this bill, and you know, sort of a throwback to how things were before. So you, you know that that I think has affected um, that has affected the the downturn in, in how people are absorbing news. But you, you also, I think, see that there's so many big news stories happened in 2020 and early 21 where uh, you had the Capitol Hill riot, you had George Floyd's murder, you had um, all of the stories. A- and a lot of them affected our audience and the agencies and the companies we cover very deeply. And um, I think in 2021, you, you did not have that, that same uh, rush of big picture news stories that had an effect on, on the industry.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of other channels opening up, aren't there? We've seen lots of um, Substack channels, we've seen. You mentioned Axios, which is really investing big in its local news, offering they so said they're going to extend that to 25 cities uh, this year and maybe up to as many as 100, which is a massive investment we've seen.
2: It is. And, and I wish them well because yeah. um, it's you know, I I came out of that world and it's it is a it's an incredibly important and often overlooked part of the media and it is you know look this is this is where people's tax dollars are going and this is you know how their school systems are operating and their local police and fire and all of that and it's the issues that really directly affect their lives so and local media has just taken so many huge hits over the past i mean it's really been 25 almost 30 years now and and so there needs to be new ideas and publishing at the local level. Um, I'm I'm happy to see them jumping into this. I, re- I really do wish them well. I hope it's a success.
1: Yeah, it's really important for local democracy, and I, wh- I agree with you. I hope they can make it work. One interesting story this week was Ben Smith of the New York Times and Justin Smith of Bloomberg both resigned from their high-profile jobs, and they've got a, a new media venture that's coming out. They're being a bit... Uh, quiet about what exactly it's going to be. But that was very interesting, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of detail yet on what they're going to launch. But when you, when you read Ben Smith talking about it, of course, he's a New York Times media columnist and, and seems to break a, a really interesting story every Sunday night. When you listen to him talk about it, they're, they're clearly very ambitious about what they want to do. And they see this as a rival to the, the big media outlets, whether on TV uh, or, or, you know, in, in print and digitally. So I'm, I think this is something people in the media are going to closely follow for the next couple of months as, as this starts to take form. Um, it, it, ben Smith and and the, there's there's a lame joke here about this how this is the most successful reunion of the Smiths and and you know since the band broke up, but um, <laughs> it is um, it, because it, he has a background in the startup media world. I mean, he was he was the editor of BuzzFeed for Buzzfeed. for years, and you know, BuzzFeed was I, I think in a lot of ways really innovative about how they they package together a lot of hard news. And and at the time did invest a lot in you know boots on the ground hard news in in different places, uh, with with all this different kind of of lifestyle content. I mean, I don't I don't know that we we'd ever be using the word listicle if it wasn't for for BuzzFeed really pioneered that. Um, I've so, for a while actually. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm intrigued to see what they do here. I think my big question is number one: can they differentiate themselves enough? From the other media outlets, whether it's the New York Times or whoever that are going to be their their big rivals in this new media world, can they differentiate themselves enough and what what platforms would they use to do it um, and also what kind of a voice and what kind of a tone uh, is this going to have because I, I I think you would you would be naive to think that it's not going to become it's not going to be seen as like a left or right outlet because everything is in, in this day and age. And, and can they break through that? I'm a little skeptical of that. So I I, I have a lot of questions about what they're doing. Um, it, it, but it, you know, the, it, the ground is kind of ripe for, for new ideas in the it's media world The so. new types of coverage.
1: Yeah. I mean, they took about a 200 million uh, strong English speaking sort of intelligent audience, college educated. Um, And some would say, well, you're already you've already got that at The Times and Bloomberg. The difference is that they will be the owners of this and they have the opportunity to make big bucks, which they don't have within a media company. And I guess that's part of a wider trend, which we saw last year with many, many senior journalists. Leaving and and starting their own things, whether it's a Substack or the the Park brands with uh, John Kelly, um, and that's a that's a really interesting angle to this, isn't it? That people don't want to sit in a media owner and just take a wage; they actually want to be entrepreneurs and and potentially uh, sell for big big money.
2: Yeah, and I think we're going to need a little bit of time um, to see to get more of a sense of financially how how some of those you know Substack brands to generalize them. Uh, how they make out financially going forward. Um, I, I also think, you know, when you that 200 million number, I, I think it's it's very easy to categorize people into broad groups like that. And it's, it's a lot more difficult to make it work. Um, so, but I, I, what I'm also interested to see is the bottom line part of this, you know, what are they going to do that's subscription-based and what are they going to do that's free? Um, and, and what are they going to do in partnership with, other existing technology platforms, or what do they create on their own? Um, because this this is uh, and people are going to have their eyes on this in the next few months.
1: Yeah, because if you think about it, we've got so much content coming at us, haven't we? And if you think about in the morning when you get your your morning newsletters, it's becoming increasingly difficult to take it all in. And um, you know, I, well, I think we all have our favourites. I like uh, there's various uh, sub stacks. I like Brian Morrissey's the rebooting. The I like John Kelly and Puck. Uh, like I said, Mario the generalist a lot of these are in the tech space lillian lee does a brilliant one on the asian tech scene ryan berman his courageous um blog is is they're really good and it was interesting to see wired which if if you think was is almost one of the original tech brands coming out this week and sort of setting out its stall under the new editor-in-chief who joined last march and they's that you know they've been a bit quiet haven't they during this whole explosion so they're they're obviously trying to um, get their ducks in a row again and, and push forward, as well as frankly cutting a few costs by the sound of it and combining their US and UK offerings.
2: Yeah, but I, I also think that there there is just such a. I, I check my email sometimes at the end of the day, and I, I'm just it's 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 frustrating because you you have so much to read and so much you want to read in so little time and um yeah, breaking through is is i, I think you have a, you have to have a really unique offering it has to be well written um and ultimately i think like all content uh you have to be telling people something that they don't know yet uh or at least having perspective that they don't that they haven't heard yet uh for it to really work so Um,
1: that perspective point is really crucial because you mentioned the news traffic declining. People want insight and uh, they want to dig under the hood, don't they? And uh, what do you think it means for PR professionals and brands who want to, uh, you know, you need to be where people are, but there's a lot more places for where they are now. So how do they approach this and how do they make sure they get engagement with all these new channels as well as the existing mainstream media?
2: Well, the first thing I think of are, are these ratios that have popped up over the past couple of years about how there are uh so many more PR pros for every journalist as the number of journalists has decreased uh <laughs> over the last decade. So um but I think it's they're great gonna have
1: to, all, does it?
2: No, no, but but what I think they're gonna have to be intimately familiar with is the the individual quirks and um scheduling. And um, all of those in perspective, um, and the topics they write about of every single one of these smaller media outlets, because. I think we all know from experience, somebody pitches you something that just, you know, they don't know what time your newsletter goes out or they don't really know what you write about. And it's incredibly frustrating and it doesn't make you want to deal with the person again. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be like that. But but multiplying in terms of the number of uh, outlets that are out there. So in some ways, they're going to have to really become well versed in how they sell if we just take newsletters uh you know, how all these different newsletters operate, what kind of content they have and what time they go out. And, you know, even even the frequency, whether it's once a day or three times a week, or some of them do more than, than once a day.
1: Yeah, and you've got some, um, you might have smaller audiences, but they're much more engaged and, and you know, that they're, they're potentially more valuable, aren't they? So you, you might be doing a few more uh, partner content activations, paid media elements to it. Um, Sabrina, what, from, from your generation's point of view, what do you make of the current media environment and how, how do you consume content and you and your, your friends?
0: Yeah, well, I think my situation is a bit different because as a journalist, I, I do, you know, rely on traditional media outlets, um, and newsletters actually quite a lot, but, you know, based on, from what I know from my generation, social media is where they're getting their content, um, which does kind of, blur, you know, a lot of what's credible and what's not. Um, unfortunately, that just seems to be the case with, you know, the the kind of uh, generation that we are. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's a challenge, especially for news organizations today that are, you know, losing journalists with the great resignation that are trying to make sure that they have clickable content and trying to get traffic because this new generation is not on those traditional platforms. Everything is digital, everything is fast paced, everything is just, um, you know, easily digestible. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this and how these organizations are going to continue to evolve because um, I think it's necessary in order to survive.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to have to be in roadblocks or they're going to be, in, you know, engaging on Twitch or they're going to be, you know, within games or or what have you. So, um, I think the, so- the social media interaction, the chart data showed that social media interactions with news articles were down 65%, you know, between t- 2020 and 21, um, whereas overall visits to top five news sites were down 8%. So, and I think if you look at our experience, Frank, as PR Week, you know, we do drive a lot of traffic from email and from our social channels, don't we, as well as search. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Email, especially. Um, And look, you know, when you see the just multiplying of emails, newsletters out there, um, you know, by by individuals or teams that, that maybe don't have a ton of people, it's obviously this isn't something that's going
1: away anytime soon. All right, so uh, let's get on to the other big topic of the day, which is the future of work. Talent, wars, great resignation, the fight against COVID. We've been covering this for two years now. It's evolved, it's still here. I think we saw a stat about the biggest number of people resigning over the over um, over the holidays, although whether that was rolled up data, I don't know. But that, no, that was official data, wasn't it? So Frank, where are we at on that? And, and what can we say about the PR industry in relation to those trends?
2: Continuing story, and I'm really interested to see um, whether just some of these crazy anecdotes that we heard about from the last part of last year continue into 2022, whether that's people asking for gigantic raises and, and getting them uh, to stay in a role or, or just you know being recruited with, with astronomical uh, salary increase promises. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if that's the case and how uh, and how long it lasts I know last last fall uh, some recruiters thought that uh, that market had peaked and it was on the way down so we'll see because uh, you know the numbers you mentioned uh, whether it's the number of private sector jobs that came out this morning or the number of people that, that quit their jobs in the last quarter I mean these there's clearly movement going on um, and so uh, I'm interested to see how long that continues. And I think there are a lot of future work components here. I think that um, the the, lo- the more times we go back, we're not in lockdown, to be clear, but the more times we go back into a non-office environment, I think the tougher it is to get people back to the office full time. So... Um, Interested to see how that continues to shake out, because I I think even if you look at New York now and you look at the financial institutions that have led the charge on getting people back to the office, even a lot of them are holding off until the end of the month now
0: um,
2: as the new as the new variant circulates. So interested to see what happens.
1: The stat I was talking about was 4.5 million folks resigned in November, you know, which is the, the largest number uh ever i think and um you know part of that is because they they know they can get another job right they, they know that there are a lot of jobs out there and, and that, that, that they're in the driving seat you know for once so um but so uh, sabrina this is affecting the way agencies go out there especially to attract the best talent it's a talent business isn't it and you wrote a story this week about agencies actually investing in more office space outside the sort of bubble of new york in other parts of the u.s
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because some agencies shut their doors right before the Christmas break uh, and basically told people, you know, don't return. Once you come back, we're going to figure things out. But um, on the other hand, there were a few agencies, specifically mostly creative, uh, that have invested in office space. Um, And it's usually not in the New York area or the tri-state area. There was um, an agency, Johnson and and Second, that invested in Denver and they created an, an entire camp. They call it Camp Purpose, uh, and it's sort of like a a travel location and a 34-acre property that agency employees can go and sort of have a peaceful environment to work in. Um, There was another agency in Toronto called Zulu that, you know, said goodbye to its old office, and they even created a whole montage video um, and has now invested in a 5,000-square-foot space. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, 27,000 square foot space. And so they're they're just expanding the office, um, you know, planning to transition to a hybrid model. And then there were a few other agencies that are basically investing in non-traditional spaces, usually open floor plans, um, trying to lease larger spaces so that there's a lot of ventilation, walking room. Um, and so that way they're going to try to attract the talent, make sure that people come back into the office and engage in person.
1: Yeah, and Frank, um, the attracting the talent is going to be key because you know pr has stepped up we've 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 documented this over the past two years pr is more important than ever and it's it's really delivering but you've got to in that environment you've got to get the best people on your team haven't you and especially with the new regulations in new york for example about uh, vaccinated employees um it's a trend we're going to be covering for for the rest of for this new year just as we have in the past two i think yeah
2: yeah and it's interesting in a lot of ways because um, for years, a lot of the, the talent war stories revolved around recruiting young talent and and talent that was digitally native and fluent in social media. And I think over the past few years, that's changed to be more about recruiting talent with a lot of experience in tough situations and crises just because of everything that's gone on. Um, so it's, it's going to be top level talent as well as um, Necessarily entry level talent, but but less so, you know, Gen Z focused and millennial, uh, younger millennial talent.
1: Okay, so uh, the PR Week news machine is back up and running and is already breaking stories. So let's get into a few of those. Frank Casey Kavanaugh, that's a really interesting new job for her as she takes over at AT and T from the retiring uh, Larry Solomon.
2: Yes um she moved into that role on monday starting at the start of the year she's reporting up to Lori lee who's the ceo of at&t latin america and the global marketing officer for the whole brand now i just want to just want to clarify one thing casey's um casey's title is chief communications officer of at&t services but she's the top communications person for at&t the brand the whole company uh like you said she's replacing larry solomon who's retiring she's based in dallas uh, and she is leading all parts of corporate communications and reputation management um, and quite a big and busy company to do that. When you look at all of the things that uh, have affected AT&T over the past few years, um, she We're was most recently. Yeah, she was mostly, most recently the global chief communications officer of Picardi Limited uh, since 2016 and held a number of executive roles in the hospitality sector before that.
1: Yeah, well, we wish Larry well in his retirement. He's a longstanding uh, member of our power list and a uh, good friend of PR Week, and, uh, you know, done a, a long stint at ATT. So good luck to him and good luck to KC in that new role in a very different ATT, sort of unraveling itself from its big acquisitions, which is sort of. Uh, uh, embarked on, not not with that much success. So uh, yeah, good luck to her. Let's talk about the comms tech space, which is still really hot. And uh, this was an acquisition story, Sabrina, that you did involving Onclusive and, a, and Kantar and a couple of other brands. Uh, talk us through that one.
0: Yeah, so private equity firm Symphony Technology Group acquired uh, three different comms tech companies, Cantar Reputation Intelligence, which is a subsidiary of Cantar. Uh, PR Glue and Onclusive. Um, And so it's a merge company that's gonna be operating under the name Onclusive. And basically their offering is going to be to create global media monitoring measurement and workflow management services for PR and communications clients. The deal closed on the last day of 2021. um, And as a joint company, they're gonna have more than 9,000 clients in 130 markets, including AT&T, which we were just talking about. Um, so pretty, pretty big company. And this seems to be sort of a trend of tech companies, you know, merging and, and creating these, these monsters.
1: Yeah. We follow that every day, Frank, don't we? With our dashboard daily, um, loads of heat in that space. And, uh, interesting yeah. that they're all going to be under the Onclusive brand and, uh, Kantar obviously at, at one point that was part of WPP, I assume that part of the business. So uh, another big, It, it seems to go through phases uh, in this market of, uh, Big conglomerations emerging, and then they 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 all sort of split apart again. And then, but th- there's definitely a lot of heat in this market at the moment, isn't
2: it? For sure. And as always, we're tracking um, private equity and the investments that they're making, both in agencies um, and on the platform side, which we've um, we've seen a lot more of over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now a couple of interesting agency stories, Frank. Um, a rebrand for Pinter the uh, uh mike Valdez foley led uh, brand which uh, was has gone into uh was acquired by chemistry wasn't it and that's uh, they've uh rebranded presumably as part of that
2: yeah that's uh that's exactly it and um one thing that's worth pointing out is that they, they've also expanded the number of services they offer um into uh creative and into more digital uh services as part of their partnership, uh, as part of their acquisition by chemistry. Um, but Mike Valdez-Folley, who is the CEO, the, the CEO of Pinta, and now becoming the COO and president of Chemistry Cultura, um, he's still maintaining that earned media is, you know, at the very center uh, of what they're doing, which is good to hear. And I think it's also a smart move because uh, it gives them a bit of a differentiating point from uh, the parent company, Chemistry, and allows them to really show off what they're good at.
1: Yeah. And then United Entertainment Group, which is part of Edelman, um, their uh, president, I think, has left for a new career in um, education, president of Global Integrated Comms.
2: Yes, that's correct. Um, And, you know, that's a really... UEG is an interesting area, uh, you know, very entertainment focused. and by the way, if you, if you reach out to Mary Scott, she is just an expert on, on working with sports, leagues, teams, athletes, uh, the whole thing. And it's a great conversation about that. But, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, one thing I was wondering about while I was looking at the story. I was thinking back to early last year and when Edelman launched Edelman Studios, which was a global content creation and, and production hub within the agency. And UEG was a big part of that um and so and and jared moses uh the ceo of ueg was overseeing it um and and so you know wondering how all of these different pieces just 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 fit together uh within edelman studios within the agency at large
1: yeah for sure and no i doubt there'll be lots of edelman stories over 2022 as well all right we're running long a bit so I, should we just skip the the 6th of january anniversary um and just maybe say We're glad that President, former President Trump has cancelled the press conference that he planned for that day. I think we all remember that year, a year ago. Um, Not a pleasant day for America, I don't think. But uh, so we'll we'll skip over that one, Frank, unless you have any uh, quick comments on it.
2: Just uh, keeping a close eye on the media coverage as we get to the one year anniversary, which full disclosure is tomorrow um, and through the rest of the week, interested to see how different elements uh, of the broadcast media shall we say uh, cover it and uh, you know
1: the verbiage they use indeed all right, so just to finish. Um, PR week's busy as ever. We've got lots of things going on and I just wanted to make sure that everything's on your radar. So we're doing our uh, salary survey, the biggest survey of the industry. You've got until Friday but we can probably extend that a little bit into early next week. Please help us out and take that survey. It only takes a few minutes but the more people we get, the more uh, robust the data is. All of our surveys are the industry leading um, pieces of uh, bellwethers for for what's going on. So please do take the salary survey. Just uh, look in the breakfast briefing or on our, on our social media uh, channels to find the link. Our Dashboard 25, we talked about Dashboard Daily and the and the, uh, comms tech sector, really hot area. Dashboard 25 are the biggest uh, movers and shakers in that space. So make sure you've got your submissions in for that. The, you've got until the middle of next week, I believe, to do that. Um, our health Healthcare and Pharma Communications Awards are um, out for submissions. A really exciting launch there. So, um, again, make sure that's on your radar. The PR Week Global Awards, the first um, deadline for that is coming up in mid-January. Um, so, please make sure you've got all your best global work into that. And um, the Women of Distinction, formerly known as our Hall of Femme, that's uh, still out for uh, entries. Always one of our most popular um initiatives so women of distinction and women to watch please have that on your radar and then on monday we are launching the call for submissions to our agency business report rankings table and uh, consideration for profiles in that coverage so please do look out for that but uh thank you frank thank you sabrina so much for your time great to chat with you and uh already hit the ground running in 2022 so thank you for that but uh, that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on The PR Week.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.